Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. Hey, real quick, a couple pieces of family business. First of all, mid-school, you're dismissed. So Paul forgot to let you know, mid-schoolers, you can go to uh, your class So good to see you. Have fun. Teach us something when you come back. Uh, Secondly, yes, I'm limping a little bit. It's no big deal. I've seemed to fracture the same ankle over and over again. So four times I've decided to break this thing. And I was a dummy a couple days ago thinking I'm in my 20s and I'm not. And there's this exercise called a deadlift. And so I put heavy weight on the bar and got a little wobbly and I stepped off the edge of a three-inch platform and just rolled it. So lots of crunching and popping and so it's awesome. But here's what I discovered. As a pastor, you can find a sermon illustration in anything. So this was great. As I'm lying on the ground in pain, the guy next to me is like, dude, are you okay? And I said, well, it's a little bit bigger than the other one and I don't think it's supposed to look like that, but... I wanted to share with you that all the way back in the book of Genesis, there was this enemy that's talked of striking our Savior's heel, and yet he's going to crush his head. And it was great. He just looked at me like, what on God's green earth are you even talking about? And I had a, a really neat opportunity to share with this young man the good news of the gospel message. So it's amazing how God can take anything and he can use that to teach us something. And it was a great opportunity. So when I leave here today and I go to get some x-rays, it'll be a great opportunity to share with the x-ray technician that, hey, just like we have an enemy that struck our Savior's heel when he tried to kill him on the cross, our Savior crushed the serpent's head by rising again from the dead after his death on the cross. And that's exciting stuff. Now, actually, the timing for this happening this week is perfect because we're in Revelation chapter 12, and it's all on victory. It's all on the victory of Christ and really the defeat of Satan. As we saw last week in Revelation 12, in the first six verses, Satan comes after Jesus in multiple ways. First of all, right after sin enters the world and we get what's called the Proto-Evangelion or the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. Satan's a theologian. He knows that the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come into the world to save his people from their sins. So what does he do? He tries to attack the family line that Jesus is supposed to come through. Let's destroy Israel. And he tries over and over and over again and fails. And so when he fails at destroying the family line, as God keeps preserving a remnant, he keeps preserving a lineage, he then decides, well, I'm going to work through a ruler by the name of Herod. And we're going to get Jesus killed at birth. And God supernaturally protects him. Fast forward about 30-ish years, and well, let's just kill him on the cross. And he does. And he finally thinks he's won. And then three days later, after the countdown has begun, Jesus rises again from the dead. He defeats the enemy. And now we're going to see the enemy continues to get defeated. And as he does, he gets furious. He gets frustrated. And it's all because he's defeated. But what I want us to take a look at is if you wonder, why is it that it just seems like so much has come up against the church, especially lately? If you've been around for any period of time, you will notice that things have gotten worse 
Um, there's nothing new under the sun, so it's not like sin is new, but things have definitely gotten worse. We've gotten more creative in our sin. If you rewind 50, 60, 70 years, you go back to, say, the 40s and 50s prior to the 60s, divorce rates were still in the single digits, under 10%. Fast forward to where we're at now, we have now tipped the scales at 51% that man and woman will not stay together till death do us part. It just seems like there's more sin running rampant and the people are getting more and more creative in their sin. Absolutely true. If you take a look at what we celebrate, we are celebrating more and more of sin every single day. People have said it seems like there's more diseases and sicknesses. There might be. But what we see is we see an enemy that hasn't been able to defeat our God. He hasn't been able to defeat our king. So let's go after the king's subjects. Let's go after his people. I want to make clear this morning that you have an enemy that will do everything he can in his power to shut you up, to keep you from being effective. Today is not the day to keep our mouths quiet about the goodness of our Lord Jesus. Before we even get to Revelation 12, 7 through 17, I want to remind you of a man that, was, that used to be uh, Saul, and he had his name changed to Paul. Paul wrote 13 books, almost a third of the New Testament. In one of those books, he wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, you'll remember what he said. And this is the man who endured numerous beatings, numerous types of torture, bitten by a poisonous snake, and they thought he was going to die. He was a prisoner underneath the cohort of a man named Julius on a ship that was going to be shipwrecked that you can read about in Acts 27. And yet all the while, he says things like in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of salvation to all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. If you are not of Jewish descent, my Greek Gentile brothers and sisters, are you ashamed of the gospel? Let me ask you the positive question. How many of you all today, if you had to, would stand and say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus. He is my king and he is my savior. We're going to take a look at how he is the one that we worship this morning. In him we have victory and that the enemy is defeated. He's already a defeated foe. He knows that his time's short. He doesn't have a lot left. Let's read about it. Would you mind standing with me as we stand in honor of Jesus? It's Revelation 12, verses 7 through 17, uh, starting in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. 
Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Thank you, gang. The overarching thesis or big idea is the same this week as it was last week. We have to remember that God's truth is our greatest source of weaponization and protection against not only Satan, but this whole world system. And don't forget, he's furious and he's frustrated and he already knows that he's defeated. So he's going to turn that wrath upon us now. I want to be at the point of the Apostle Paul who says, may we count ourselves worthy of being allowed to suffer for the cause of Christ. Or I count it a blessing to be considered worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. I'm not going crazy. I am going to repeat myself multiple times today, but I don't want us to miss this. The reward far outweighs any sacrifice that we will ever make for Jesus. Or let me word it this way. The inheritance that we will receive will always far outweigh any sacrifice that we will have to make for Jesus. Remember, the greatest sacrifice that you could possibly make as a man or woman of God is death. But remember what awaits the believer at death. Remember the triumph that the saints have at death. It might seem odd to say along with the psalmist, but precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Why? Because it's then that we're fully reunited with the one that made us. So if I could remind us of last week, in verses 1 through 6, we saw this simple principle, Satan in his fury, he wants to kill Jesus, he wants to kill his people, but he gets frustrated by God's protective hand. God is protecting his, now the protection might not always look the way we want it to look, but note this, the worst thing that can happen to us is death. And if that's the case, are you still protected? Absolutely. Absolutely. The moment that I cross this finish line of life and I'm with my Lord and Savior, I am completely safe. I'm going to get way ahead of myself, like 15, 16 weeks ahead. But when we get to Revelation 21, we get to Revelation chapter 22, there's this talk of gates in heaven that are always open. And we might breeze right past that and not think much about it, but you have to keep in mind in ancient times, back in first century Palestine, during the times of the Israelites, so you can go from 90 AD all the way back to about 1440 BC, there's oftentimes these talk throughout scripture of gates, and the gates are typically closed. Well, two things. One, what do gates represent? They represent protection, but what are they protecting from? The enemy. In heaven, the gates are always open. Why? There's no more enemy. The enemy has been defeated. The enemy has been vanquished. The enemy has been imprisoned for all of eternity in the lake of fire. I can't wait. One of the things that's going to make heaven heaven is being with Jesus. The other thing that's going to make heaven heaven is being with Jesus and not having any temptation of sin or accusation of it. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. In verses 7 through 17, another attribute that we see of our great and glorious God is simply this. Satan, in fury, wages war on God and his people, but he's frustrated and defeated by God's powerful hand. So not only God's protective hand, but God's powerful hand. 
as well. Let's begin to break this down if we could, verse by verse. Look at verse 7. It says, Now a, a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. There's this cosmic war going on. Satan, this cherub angel, and his demons are going to fight against Michael and his angels. If you study Michael the archangel, and there's only a couple in Scripture that are actually given names. There's Michael and there's Gabriel. And Michael seemed to have a very special role in protecting God's chosen people. He had a very special role in protecting the nation of Israel. Well, now this war is about to take place. And keep in mind that Satan has access to heaven to keep accusing us. And now Michael comes up against him. It must be that God told him to. It's a war that's going to happen in the future. The verb tense of the word arose tell us that this hasn't happened yet. But it's going to happen at some point in the future. And it's a battle that Satan is going to lose. And what are the results going to be? Well, look at verses 8 and 9. It says, But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Right now, Satan has access to heaven to accuse the brethren. What a blessing it is to know that I have the greatest defense attorney that has ever lived. If you've ever seen a heated court case, you can see how nasty at times some of the prosecuting uh, attorneys can get when they're bringing accusations against the person. And they can just throw out one thing after another about the person's life to do everything they can to make them look as bad as possible. Well, we're talking about Satan who's been around for a long time and his minions who have been around for a long time and they're studying us. Do you think they have some dirt on us? Actually, quite a lot, probably. Which again, there's a couple principles there. Number one, don't give Satan any dirt to fling. Don't give him mud to fling. Let's honor Jesus. Now, some of us, again, might at this point go, oh, great, here we go. Pastor's going to talk about holy living, going to church, boring. Let me tell you that we of all people should be the most joyful. Our lives should be anything but boring. I love getting together with fellow believers, and believe it or not, we can party. Listen, when you read the book of Revelation, when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, what do you think that's going to be? It's going to be a party. We're going to eat a ton of food and not get fat. I can't wait. As I have mentioned to you all before, wait till the rapture. I told my wife, I am going to be hot. And she's not even going to care anymore because we're going to be in heaven. I'm finally going to be this hot stud that I've always wanted to be. And yet now it's not going to matter. But we won't care. Don't worry. Now, Satan is up there accusing us night and day of all the things that we've ever done, and we've got this amazing defense attorney. But there's some things that we learn about our prosecutor. He's actually given four names in verse 9 that we just read about. The first thing that he's called is that ancient serpent. Remember, from the very beginning, Satan slithered his way into the life of Adam and Eve. And he worked very subtly, and he worked very sneakily. Do y'all remember how he worked in the book of Genesis? If you'd go back to Genesis chapter 3, it's interesting to watch how Satan works. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to share just a few things with you. This is another one of those things where it's not in your notes, completely free of charge. Here's how Satan works. 
In verse 1 it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say? Stop there. The first thing that he starts with is doubt. Please note how Satan works. Because if you could keep these five D's in the back of your head, you will be able to stop it at the outset. The first thing he does is he gets mankind to doubt. Did God actually say? Do you know what kind of attack is coming up against Scripture right now? The world hates the Bible. They will do anything they can. Satan will do anything he can to get you to believe that it's just a book written by a bunch of fallible people. But if I could remind us of how mind-boggling this book is, 40 different authors, three continents, three languages, over a span of about 1,550 years, written during different times, times of peace and prosperity, times of poverty, times of war, times of famine, some of it written by kings, some by peasants, some by zealots, some by religious leaders, some by Gentiles, much by Jews, And yet all of it coincides perfectly from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. Don't ever doubt the word of God. If you do, grab it and start studying. Because we have no fear of any accusation that might ever get, get brought against the word of God. I set out on a little journey in my late teens going to my early 20s to disprove the Bible. I couldn't wait to pick that thing up and show all my religious nut friends that there's no reason they should be trusting this book or believing that some guy rose from the dead. And after trying to disprove the scriptures and not being able to do it, then trying to disprove the resurrection of Christ and not being able to do it, I was left at a crossroads. Follow him with everything that I've got and give him my entire life or willingly and knowingly turn my back on what was absolutely true. We have nothing to fear when it comes to the word of God, but he would love for you to doubt. Go down to verse 4. But the, woman, the, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So now he goes from doubt to flat out deceit. I am just going to deceive you into believing something that's not true. Go down to verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is what I call delusion. I'm going to get you to doubt, then I'm going to deceive you, then I'm going to delude you into believing that you can be just like God. If you were to study the different religions, the false religions and cults of the world, they always do at least two things. They take away from the personhood and the character of Christ, and they take away from the work of Christ. They take away from him being God, they take away his deity, And then they take away what he did on the cross. They either turn him into an angel or a guru or a lesser God or something along those lines. And then they take away from the cross of Christ. Yes, it might be good that Jesus died on the cross for you, but here are the steps that you have to take as well to add to what Christ did on the cross. And as soon as you do that, you might as well just not have Jesus ever come and die on the cross in the first place because it was a senseless, brutal and torturous death. But we know that Jesus' death on the cross paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. So are you saying that now we can just go live like hell and never do any good works? No, absolutely not. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. Verse 10, for we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But don't miss what Paul just said in just three simple verses. My salvation is wholly and completely and totally dependent upon Jesus. But I show the world and those around me that I've been saved wholly and completely and totally by Jesus, by the things that I do and the things that I say and the things that I think. Let me word it this way. Good works will never produce salvation, but salvation should always produce good works. Hopefully that is about as clear as can be. Now move on to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Satan takes them from doubt to deceiving them to delusion to it leads right into disobedience. And then what is the result of their disobedience? It's in verses 23 and 24. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. The fifth D is death. They were separated from the Lord. They were sent out from among him. All right, you've got it. That ancient serpent in the garden, that's how he works. The second name that he has given is devil. It's the Greek word diablos. It literally means to slander or to falsely accuse. He is constantly accusing you. Good thing you've got an advocate. Then the word Satan. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew word santanas. It literally means adversary. He is the opponent of the people of God. Out of curiosity, how many of you guys ever listened to the band Santana? Did any of you ever listen to it on vinyl record? If you play it backwards, it's got all these encoded satanic messages in it. I completely made that up. We, we, just, we needed a break from the seriousness for a moment. There's a fourth thing that he's actually called, and that is he's the deceiver of the whole world. Satan has done a great job of deceiving people and getting them to believe that they can worship any god they want or no god at all, as long as he can keep your focus off Jesus. Just worship whatever you want. You can even worship yourself if you want, just as long as the worship is not on Jesus. He has done his job. How are we going to keep from being deceived? Because there's a lot of deception out there. Listen, there's about 4,200 different sects or religions that are out there for people to gravitate towards. And many of them are very tempting. Heck, if I can become my own God, why not? That sounds great. It appeals to my pride just like it did in the garden. I don't have to worship any God at all and have no accountability and I can live this life however I want. I can be the master of my own destiny. That sounds fantastic. However, if I take a look at reality, all of us are held accountable to someone or something and we have an ultimate accountability holder and that is the Lord God, the creator himself. So how do I make sure that I'm not deceived? This is what I love about God. He has revealed himself in two specific ways. One is what we call general revelation. We see him all over the universe. I have mentioned this before, but if you just looked in the mirror at yourself, it takes approximately three trillion strands of this little thing that we call a double helix or DNA that make up your body. And within, within each strand of these portions of DNA... You've got more genetic information encoded in one strand than you've got in an entire volume of Encyclopedia Britannica's. Tell me that just the human body, just one human body, isn't absolutely amazing. 
There is no way that we are some cosmic accident. There is no way that something, let alone everything, came from absolutely nothing. There is a God that made us, and not only did he make us, but he made us with a purpose. And what's our given purpose? Bring him glory. Bring him honor. So we've got general revelation, but then we've also got what we call specific or special revelation, and we get that from his word. And this is where as men and women of Jesus, I am praying that as a church body, we're in it a lot. We gather together on Sundays to worship, but guess what we do on Monday? It's not a trick question. We worship. Oh, what about Friday and Saturday? That's my weekend. We worship because it's what brings us the greatest joy of all. Worshiping Jesus is not a burden. It's a blessing. It's a joy. It's a blast. It's fun when you can sit there and snap an ankle and then use that to tell somebody about Jesus. We can find joy even in that. It's great fun. Well, in order to make sure that we aren't deceived, that we know the word well, that you don't have to just rely on pastors or teachers, which, by the way, it's not a bad thing. God, God gives us each other to learn from and grow from on purpose. But what a blessing it is to be able to send out our church body that they know how to study the word of God on their own. Tomorrow morning when you wake up on Monday, just you and the quiet and a cup of coffee and your Bible and studying scripture. I want to throw out at you, there is a, a man that I treasure. He's with the Lord now, but he's from a little school called Dallas Theological Seminary over in Dallas, Texas. His name's Howard Hendricks, and he and his son William wrote a great book called Living by the Book. If you have never picked up Living by the Book, I would love it if every man, woman, and child at New Covenant Church made the sacrifice of spending about 12 bucks to go get William uh, Howard and William Hendricks' book, Living by the Book, it will teach you not just what the scriptures say, but how to study it on your own. It will teach you about studying the scriptures in context. It will teach you about the culture uh, of the scriptures that you are reading. It will teach you about the content itself. It will teach you how to be a good observer. How do I know who was writing it? How do I know who it was written to? How do I know what the theme of the message was? How do I not throw meaning into it? from my own 21st century Western mindset, and I make sure that I read it for what it says. It will be hugely helpful. I bring that up because I want as many tools as possible in your hand to help you know and understand the Word of God and to walk closely with Jesus because, again, you've got a world that would love to deceive you. You have an enemy that would love to deceive you. Now, take a look at why he's so ticked and why he wants to deceive you so bad. Look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying... Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan is no longer allowed to live out one of his deepest desires, and that is to have access to heaven to accuse you and I as believers. In order to stand our ground, to stand with the full armor of God put on and fight the battle, I want you to see three weapons that were given. They're all found in verse 11. It says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. The first thing we see in verse 11 is that there is the cleansing blood of the Lamb. The cleansing blood of the Lamb is our greatest weapon. Jesus dies on the cross. This is the time where Satan thought that he got him he thought he had won the battle, and it's actually where his fate was being sealed because Jesus was paying the penalty for our sin, past, present, and future. Satan no longer has anything to hold against us. 
Sin has no sticking power. The second thing we see is the confession of our testimony. Our confession is testifying to what Jesus has done. Go speak about it. Again, let me remind you, you've got an enemy that wants you to be quiet. Now is not the time to be silent. Today is not the day to be silent. Today is not the day to cower. Today is not the day to run and hide. Today is the day to go tell everybody you know about Jesus. Again, not because you feel like you have to, because you get to. Remember, we get to talk about Jesus. What a blessing that is. We've been here now for, oh, almost exactly 10 months. And the 10 months that I've been here and getting to spend time with some of you all, whether it be over coffee or whether it be over lunch or a dinner or whatever it is that we're doing together, man, it is such a blast to go out and in the community and then tell some of my other unbelieving friends about my friends here at New Covenant and what God has been doing in your all's lives. Some of you don't even know it, but I've been able to use some of your stories to share the gospel with others. I've been able to share some of the things that you've gone through that they could Uh, reminisce with. They could understand. You all have been through some things that I haven't. I've been through some things that you haven't. And then we can share each other's stories. I can tell them, hey, I know a guy who's gone through exactly what you're going through. And here's how he's handled it because of his love for Jesus. That's been a blast. What a privilege it has been to be able to have my own testimony and to confess to what the Lord has done in my life and share that with other people. Well, then there's the third thing in verse 11. There's the courage of Christ followers. The believers spoken of here are following the same instructions that we learned about when we looked at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, uh, John or Jesus is speaking through John to the church in Smyrna. If you remember Smyrna, it gets its name from the plant myrrh. What is the only way that you get fragrance coming off of a plant uh, that, that is myrrh? You have to smash it. And the church in Smyrna is being smashed. But as they're being smashed, they're letting off this fragrant aroma and people are coming to know Christ. After John died, he had a disciple by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was 86 years old when he was told, you better stop worshiping this Jesus and start worshiping the emperor. He refused, and so they put him inside of a brazen bowl. And they boiled him while he was inside this metal bowl. And yet he refused to recant his love for and his allegiance to Jesus. And from the history books that we know, there were many that saw what it was that Polycarp was willing to go through and then turned and gave their lives to Christ. Polycarp's been gone for a long time. Many of those people that gave their lives to Christ because of Polycarp have been gone a long time. And one of the things that I can promise you that we've promised before is that none of those folks in Polycarp himself were sitting back wishing they would have lived a little bit more luxury for the last few years that they had in planet Earth. Instead, they're praising Jesus that they got to die for him. And now they're experiencing eternity with him forever. I would love to live like Polycarp. Well, let me take us, if I could, to verse 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. We're at the midway point of the tribulation. There's 1,260 days left, three and a half years according to a 360-day Jewish calendar that Satan has left. He knows that his time is short. So he is going to do everything he can to raise Cain. He is going to do everything he can to make life difficult on God's people. 
Well, he knows right now that his time is short before Jesus takes his bride home. I believe that's why we see so much sin running crazy in our world today. And it has gotten crazy. I don't know if you've looked around. It has gotten bad. Let me just share with you one example, and I won't get too graphic. But not too far from us, if you haven't heard about it yet, there is a satanic temple that has opened up uh, in the southeast part of the state. And in that satanic temple, they are actually bringing in actual nurses and doctors that would help people perform abortions. And then they can offer up their, their sacrificed babies to the god Bihamet. If you don't believe me, you can just look it all up, but it's this statue of a very satanic-looking figure. There's a little boy and a little girl on their knees kneeling to Behemet and praying to him. And people can bring their sacrificed babies to this altar in our state. This is where we're at. This is how far we have gotten from God's original plan for mankind and how hell-bent Satan has got on seeing the destruction of anybody that's created in his image. I would ask us, does that bother us? And prayerfully, it bothers us enough to where we're willing to do something about it. Because it's not too hard to talk about it, but it's very hard to go out and do something about it, and that is to bring the gospel to people's lives that need the gospel. Now, at times when we bring up sin, immediately people will tone me out and go, Pastor, you're just being judgmental. You're judging everybody else. And it's not about that. It's about the fact that people are engaging in things that bring about death. And even their own. Because remember, death means separation. If we see things happening in our world that are separating people from God because they are rejecting Jesus and they are going after the exact opposite, what is the most loving thing that we could possibly do? We go and we share the gospel with people that are living in something that is killing them. That should be heartbreaking to us. I know you all probably remember the story, but in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up at the tomb of Lazarus. And we think it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but in John chapter 11, it says, Jesus, what did he weep over? Because remember, he just finished saying, right before he showed up, he who believes in me, though he dies, he will yet live because I am the resurrection and the life. Reading that scripture in context, he wasn't weeping over the death of Lazarus. In fact, all you got to do is read a few verses before that. There were people all around that were weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, even though they had heard Jesus say, I'm the resurrection and the life. So what broke Jesus' heart? The fact that there were tons of people standing around that were going to be entering into an eternity separated from him because they didn't believe that he was the resurrection and the life. Which begs a question for me, it begs a question for my family, it begs a question for you. When is the last time you drove through Albuquerque, you stepped out your front doorstep, and you wept over the fact that there are literally thousands of people that would be entering into an eternity without the Lord? This is not make-believe, this is not fairy tale, this is real life. We were created to know God and be in relationship with Him, and we've ruined it, and yet God loved us so much that He's made a way for us to be with Him. All right, verses 13 and 14. Here we go. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Satan is hell-bent on taking out the nation of Israel. And yet God has protected her numerous times. 
Exodus chapter 19 verse 4 tells us that she was protected as one on eagle's wings. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 9 through 12 tell us that God protected his people like an eagle protects her young. And then one that you know in the book of Isaiah, the nation of Israel at some point in time will get refreshed and they will renew their strength and they will mount up on wings like eagles. These are all references showing that God is protecting his people and that he does it with swiftness. But what a great reminder that he doesn't do it because they deserve it. In fact, quite the opposite. He does it for his namesake. Let's look at the last few verses of Revelation 12. Verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river and that the dragon had poured from his mouth. There's numerous times in Scripture, I'm just going to give you a couple, but there's numerous times in Scripture where God will make sure that he deals with his enemies, those that come up against him or his people. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 12, you all know the story of Exodus. The Israelites are fleeing from the Egyptians after these ten plagues that God brings upon them, and then he parts the Red Sea, and then it says, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Let me give you another. It comes from Numbers. Chapter 16, verses 28 through 33, there's this group of rebels led by a guy named Korah who rebel against Moses and the message that God had given Moses to bring to the people. But it says, Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they're visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. God has a way of dealing with his opponents. The flood that's being poured out or being spoken of in Revelation 12, 15 through 16, I believe, is a biblical metaphor. Talking about overwhelming evil that's going to be brought against God's people. But yet God has a way of taking care of his enemies. Just one more, but in Psalm 106, verses 16 through 17, it says, When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered up the company of Abiram. God's going to do similar miracles, it looks like, during the time of the tribulation to preserve some of his people of the nation of Israel. Those people will make it through the end of the tribulation, and then they will enter into what we call the millennium that we'll read about in Revelation chapter 20, where he reigns for literally a thousand years from his Davidic throne. All right, let's finish this off. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. In verses 1 through 6, Satan failed to destroy Jesus. In verses 7 through 9, he's defeated at the war in heaven. In verses 13 through 16, he's not able to destroy Israel and he's defeated. Now he has decided, I'm just going to go after anybody and everybody that claims any allegiance to Jesus. Have you noticed that's the case? If you haven't been attacked... Go do something for Jesus and then watch the attacks come. Because I will tell you now, if you stand for Jesus, rest assured that the enemy is going to seek you out. The world is going to seek 
you out. And I pray that you and me and people that we love can stand up together and say, I count it a blessing and a privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ. Not that that makes us happy, but we find joy in knowing, don't forget this, the inheritance that we will receive will always far outweigh the sacrifice. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you and your word makes clear that your truth is the greatest weapon that we've got. It's the greatest source of protection that we've got. So may we know it and may we know it well. Lord, would you remind us that you wrote your word to reveal your will to us, not to hide it. Lord, would you remind us that your word is understandable and that ultimately was written so we would understand your greatness and your glory and your power and your majesty and your might. And Lord, may we leave this place today telling the world about the greatness and the goodness and the power and the majesty and the might of our God. May we boldly and unashamedly share the good news of the gospel message of Jesus. Lord, we ask for two things. One, we ask that you would give us the conviction to share the good news of who you are. And secondly, Lord, we ask that you would give us the compassion to share the good news of who you are. May we be so convicted of your word that we can't stay quiet. May we be so compassionate for those that are yet to know you that we can't stay quiet. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work in us and through us in mighty, mighty ways. And Lord Jesus, we give all of these things to you. It's in your mighty name that we all pray together. Amen. Gang, let me encourage you that we serve a victorious God. We serve the God that has already defeated the enemy. We serve the God of the universe who is continuing to work in and through so many here at New Covenant. I'm going to ask you if you would just continue to think about it. We actually start school in less than three weeks. Crazy. So, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. This week, at some point in time, would you pick at least once, one time per day, that you would pray for our kiddos that are going back to school? Would you pray for our teachers, both of which, if they love Jesus, are being thrown into the lion's den at times? Pray for our students to be bold in proclaiming the gospel. Pray for our teachers, for our administrators, that they would be bold. What a blessing it is to know that we have people that love Jesus that are a light in our schools. But we need to pray for them. It's getting harder and harder to walk with Jesus and not lose jobs or be expelled for standing for the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to pray for that. Would you pray for those men and women that are in positions of leadership within our government that are constantly trying to share the gospel and bring biblical principle back to the United States of America? Pray for that a lot, at least once each day this week. So I'm going to ask you to think top-down would you pray for our governmental officials? Would you pray for our kiddos that are going back to school? Would you pray for our teachers that are going back to school? And then I would ask you to not forget your church body. And would you be praying for the leadership? More and more, those that are serving in positions of leadership in the church are having attacks that are coming up against them. And all of that can be used by the enemy to try to beat us down, to get us to just be quiet and to retreat. Now is not the time for quiet and for retreat. Amen? Gang, Lord willing... We will see you next Sunday. Have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. 
From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.